Do you ever uh, get distracted um, from what you're supposed to be doing? Um, th- think back with me, or imagine when you were a little kid, um, uh, and you've, you've been given some instructions at night. You're downstairs, you've just finished, just finished dinner, and you're told, okay, I want you to go upstairs, and uh, take your clothes off and get your pajamas on, put your clothes in the dirty clothes, and go brush your teeth, and then come back and, and get in bed, and you can read books. Simple, simple questions. We do this every, every night, not, not complicated. So up the stairs you, you, you go, but at the, the top of the stairs you, you see a, a tennis ball on the, on the ground. Oh, tennis ball. And so you, you pick up the tennis ball and you start bouncing and playing with it as you're walking down the hall to the room. And then when you get in your room, you see books and Legos. Oh, I haven't seen those Legos since before dinner. <laughs> and so you put the ball down and you sit down and think of something that you could build and you begin to construct your, your Lego tower. And the next thing you know, you hear stairs. You hear feet coming up the stairs. You know it's your dad. And he gets to the top of the stairs and you're enthralled in your Legos and you look up and then it's when you remember, oops, forgot what I was supposed to do. So, you brainstorm. You brainstorm with your, with your dad about ways to help you can be able to remember and not get distracted from the task you've been given. And so, the next night you recite what you're supposed to do three or four times together. Clothes in the dirty clothes, pajamas on, brush your teeth, get in bed. Clothes in the dirty clothes, Pajamas on, brush your teeth, get in bed. Clothes in the dirty clothes, pajamas on, brush your teeth, get in bed. So up the stairs you go. And what happens? The Legos. The G.I. Joes on the floor. Everything is a, a distraction competing and calling you to do something else than what you've been given. The next night you come up with a, another idea. You'll recite those things and then also you'll be given a checklist so that you can check it off and mark it down so that you don't, you don't forget it. Hopefully, going through these things will help you eventually grasp and have this undivided focus and loyalty to the task that you have been given each night when you go upstairs to do what you've been asked to do. Remember, as we've uh, we'll, we've been working our way in through various books of the Bible during our our time um, during our, our sermon portion of our worship, and uh, we've we've seen um, in Genesis and in, in Exodus um, that God has created humanity uh, to be in relationship and fellowship with Him. We rebelled against that uh, that relationship, but God in His mercy sought to redeem and, and rescue us and restore us and all of His creation, um, saving us into a, a restored relationship with, with Him. Um, we saw that play out in Exodus as God went and redeemed His people out of, out of Egypt, saving them into a relationship with Him, one that should have been a relationship of trust 
and love and obedience and worship, one of undivided loyalty to the task that God had given them to demonstrate and reflect His goodness in the world. There's a problem with that. There was a problem with that for Israel as we the, the pages of Scripture unfold and, and show God's people. Um, but there's also a problem with that for us, that undivided loyalty to our God, things in our own hearts, things in the world distract us, compete for our attention and our affections. And although we might know what we're supposed to do, there's too much around to distract us and we get sidetracked with other things instead of following through with what God would have us do. What do we do about that? How do we deal with? How does, what does God give His people as a means to continue to reorient our loyalty, our focus, our attention to Him and to the task He's given us. Well, uh, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Leviticus this morning. Um, we're in the, the second chapter. Um, if you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in front of you or under your seat, uh, you'll find uh, this on page 81. <clears throat> And what, what we've been looking at, uh, last week we looked at the whole burnt offering. This week we're going to be looking at uh, what could be called the grain offering. And we're, each week we're going to be looking through, there's five major types of, of offerings that are given God's, uh, God's people. But one of the purposes of these offerings uh, that, that are given uh, is to help with that problem of distraction, of divided loyalties, of wandering hearts. So, uh, let's look at chapter 2 together this morning and see what our God has graciously given us to help turn our hearts to Him. So follow along with me, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Leviticus. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons, it is a most holy part of Yahweh's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering uh, baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be an, uh, unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to Yahweh. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. 
But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of Yahweh's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to Yahweh shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven or any honey as a food offering to Yahweh. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to Yahweh, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all of the, your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. All these, all, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to Yahweh, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your uh, continued pursuit of us. We thank you that you pursued Israel, giving them the book of Leviticus to know how they will dwell in the midst and live with a holy God for your provision to them. And in so many ways, we're so distant from this, uh, these rituals and the, the laws that you've given them. Um, holy Spirit, we pray, though, and we know that, that your word is, is timeless and that you apply it to the lives and hearts of your people. And that is what we ask that you do today. Um, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Um, so it's going to be important for us to, in, in order to understand what is going on with these grain offerings and what effect it should have had in the hearts of the, the people of Israel is to, to get a little bit of a, of a context for, for the relationship that, that Israel had with God and the role that they, that they played uh, in relationship to Him. And so for, for this, it's, it's important for us to understand uh, what a covenant is. Um, you see, uh, God established, and, and we, we saw as we worked through Genesis and even when we were in, uh, in Exodus, God making covenants or establishing relationships with people that He initiated. Um, and so, uh, but this wasn't unique to Israel. Covenants were something that was a part of the, the broader culture in the ancient Near, Near East. Um, it's as if what God was saying is, do you want to know and understand more about how to relate to me? It's kind of like this covenant uh, relationship that you see in other cultures. The Hittites had them. Other groups had them. And there were some, some various types of covenants or these relationships. Some were made by peers. Peer tribes or nations. One wasn't necessarily any more powerful than the other. But what they realized is that if we're going to survive, we need one another. We're not going to merge together, but let's enter into a, a covenant, enter a relationship to where we mutually agree that you'll help me, I'll help you, I'll protect you, you protect me, we'll come to each other's defense. Um, and, and trade together. And one, it might be, one way to think about it would have been, uh, been a treaty. Um, but there's, a, there's another type of, of covenant that was prevalent at the time. And this would have been uh, um, one that is sometimes called a suzerain-vassal treaty or a suzerain-vassal covenant. The suzerain would have been the, the powerful king or nation or empire. 
the vassal would have been one who was definitely a much, much weaker dependent nation or tribe. And the way that these these covenants work is that they were initiated and all the terms were established by the powerful king, the suzerain. He established the the terms of the the covenant, of the relationship. Um, He stipulated and communicated to them the history of their involvement in the past, of his great work to protect them or to deliver them. He outlined the stipulations of the covenant, um, of what would be required of them to be into a relationship with them. Because remember, he was the, the one in the authority, the one with power. And so he got to set the, the dictate the terms of the covenant. The vassal, the, the, the less powerful um, tribe or, or community, didn't have any, any say in that. He set the terms. And they would uh, st- stipulate what the blessings would be if you followed and were faithful to the covenant. Um, and, and saying, hey, uh, I will provide this for you and, and I will do this for you and you will enjoy my protection and my, and my care. And then he also stipulated what the curses would be of if you failed to live up to your portion of the, of the covenant. And a lot of times what they do is it would be called cut a covenant. So they would cut an animal in half. Some sort of blood would be shed. And a lot of times they would maybe even walk through the middle of it. Uh, together, the leader of, of both things, saying this will this is what will happen. Us being uh, as the these animals are split apart. If you fail or break this covenant, there will be the consequence of of death before, because of you uh, you violating it. Um, and uh, so the, the idea was is that this this vassal nation would give ultimate and complete loyalty to the the king that entered into the the covenant with them. They would fulfill the responsibilities that they gave. A lot of times it was done out of fear. They would pay tribute to this this nation, this other king, just to make sure that we can can appease him. Because, you know, he might be kind of fickle. Maybe he's not not pleased with us this week. And so we got to bring him extra uh, grain, extra cattle, extra money to make sure that we keep him happy and that he's content with us because we do not want him being angry because if we get in trouble, he might not come to our aid. Well, um, what we see is that what God is wanting to communicate to his people as he's entering into this covenant relationship with him, a big part of it is he's using this uh, um current system of the way to relate to people, a covenant relationship to establish his relationship with his people because he wants to put himself forward as being the covenant king. I am the powerful one, not just because I saved you from Egypt, although that demonstrated my power. I'm the powerful one because I created all things. I'm the ultimate true king. I have given the stipulations of this covenant. I've entered in. I've pursued you. I've redeemed you in showing my grace. You did not come to me. I I came to you and established it. I set the terms. There's great blessings that come from following and, and living in obedience to me. But there's also great curses and consequences if you fail to. And, um... Uh, everything in this relationship, uh, God was to be in a position to where Israel would, would recognize him as being their king. It wasn't just the way that this covenant was established, but as they traveled through 
the wilderness, the way that they traveled was the same way that other nations traveled with their king. The king, when they would have, uh, would have been in the front leading the way, as they uh, settled down into a, a place to rest, the king's tent would have been in the middle. And then the, the, the people, as they were traveling with him, the armies or the, uh, the other people of their nations would have set up on all sides of the king's tent with it in the middle. It's the same way with Israel. The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, was like God's mobile palace. You've heard of the, the, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Sometimes it's also called the mercy seat. You could understand it as being God's throne. The Holy of Holies would be in God's throne room. And so when they settled down, God's tent, the tent of meeting, was in the middle. And Israel, first the, the priest would be set up their tents and their villaging, like housing stuff around the tabernacle. And then on uh, each side, three tribes would set up their, uh, their dwelling as they journeyed through. All of this is communicating to Israel. Even the way we move and travel, the way that I've organized my relationship with you. I am the king. You are to follow me. I'm using my power and my authority and my might to protect you. I've entered into a relationship with you. But something that we've seen is with Israel, it wasn't just a sovereign or a suzerain and a vassal relationship. God uses different terms to describe his relationship with Israel. He said, you're my son. You're my people. I'm your father. I'm your father. I love you. There is a deep relational component. You see, what God is doing as the, the king in establishing this relationship is he's setting himself up as the king, as this good and gracious and merciful ruler. And he's called Israel into a special relationship with him. In fact, one of the things that we saw that, that God terms and calls Israel, he, he calls them a kingdom of priests. Although within Israel there were a separate tribe, the Levites, who would have been the priest, oh, the whole nation, the whole community is to view themselves as priests. What do priests do? Priests mediate the blessings of God to the people. That's how Israel was to see their role. As we are in a relationship, a covenant relationship with our king, and as we follow him in a life of, of dependence and trust, we are to be priests to the world. They are to experience the blessings of God through the way we live in fellowship with our King. You see, when God saves someone, when He fulfills His covenant promises and saves someone, He's not just saving them from something, from Egypt or from sin. He's saving them to something as well. He's saving them to a relationship with himself. Remember, we saw that in, in, in Exodus. God is redeeming and saving Israel so that he can dwell in their midst as their God, as their father. But also, he's saving them for something. He's saving them for that great role of being priests, of the way that they live should demonstrate to the world how good God is. 
how necessary and beautiful it is when humans dwell in right, restored relationship with God. So, how do the sacrifices play into all of this stuff? How do the sacrifices and these, uh, in, in general, and particularly the grain offerings, work to help uh, continue to cultivate and, and develop this uh, relationship of trust and undivided loyalty? Uh, well, this morning we're looking at, at the grain offering. Remember last week we looked at the burnt, the whole burnt offering. Um, the whole burnt offering would have been whether you would have brought, a, a, whether it's a, a cow, some sort of cattle, or a, a goat, or a sheep, or a, a turtle dove, or a pigeon, um, to sacrifice before, before God. It would have accomplished atonement, restoring the relationship, dealing with our, your sin, but also it would have been done in times of great... Um, Petition, when you had a huge prayer request, you wanted to lift up to God, calling on Him and expressing your complete dependence on Him, but also to celebrate and praise God. Look at what He's done. I'm so thankful for God and what He's done. I'm going to give completely this costly sacrifice of one of those, uh, those animals. Well, the grain offering uh, mirrored that. The grain offering mirrored those, uh, those purposes of uh, a response to God and what he's, he's done. If you, if you look uh, through um, uh, the, the passage here in, uh, in Leviticus chapter 2, you see in the beginning, um, it, it breaks it down in a couple of ways. There were different ways you could bring your grain offering. Some could have been just flour. Some would have been different types of breads that you made. I'm going to demonstrate a little bit of the uh, of just the, the flower portion of it so you get an idea of what it what it looks uh, what it looks like so listen what it, what it says when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh his offering shall be of fine flour he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons the priest and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of Yahweh's food offering. So first they would have brought some flour. It wasn't a small amount of flour. Um, looking at other places in Scripture, um, the, the term used is, is an ephah. It would have been about almost nine cups of flour that you were bringing as your offering to God. Not a small amount. Um, think uh, almost, I mean, you can see it here, but it's almost half of a, uh, a five-pound bag of flour. With that, you would have brought oil, olive oil, to, uh, to pour on the offering. Um, in various other places where it stipulates the amount, um, I think the, the measurement was like a hen or something. It's a, about a quarter of a gallon. Um, it's not necessarily clear if you would pour all of this over it right then, or if you would pour a little bit over it and then give the rest of the oil to the priest to have. So what they would have done is they would have uh, come and, and sprinkled and drizzled some of the oil over 
the top of the, of the offering. Then it stipulates to put some frankincense on the offering. Um, this, uh, one, of, one of the things, um, uh, frankincense, I'm learning a lot about frankincense. I've heard it. You hear it at Christmas all the time. I never knew what it was. Uh, it's actually the resin or the sap from these trees in southern Arabia. I have some up here. You can come look at it after, after the service. It, it looks like nerds. Nerds candy. But I would not eat any. Um, it's got a kind of a, I don't, a frankincense-y sense. I don't know. Um, so what they would do is they, they would grind this up into fine powder to burn as incense. I didn't really, I don't have a grinder like that, so I'm just going to sprinkle it whole. But you would have taken some of this, this, in, this uh, frankincense and put it, they would have put some just on the, on the top. Then what the priest would have done is the priest would have come and he would have taken a, a memorial portion, it's called, and we'll talk about that later. He would have grabbed some off the top, grabbing all of the frankincense because it's not, not really edible. And he would have taken this, and this is what he would have put on the, uh, um, uh, on the, the altar. So remember, this is accompanying... If somebody could bring me a, a paper towel, that'd be great. Um, so this would have gone on top of the, 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 uh, the altar of burnt offerings. So remember, uh, constantly this, uh, this altar is burning with um, the sacrifices that are put before the Lord. This would have mirrored and always gone along with, for the most part, one of the, the whole burnt offerings. When you gave the whole burnt offering, you also would have brought one of these grain offerings. And so as your cow or goat or sheep or turtle dove is burning, the priest would have then taken your grain offering and sprinkled uh, some of the memorial portion on top. Thanks. And then he would have uh, kept the rest uh, as uh, a portion for him and uh, the rest of the priests for, uh, for their, their provision. Um, one of the things that it, it tells us later is that what God stipulates is that he, um, uh, if it was bread, you would have done a similar thing. Um, and it describes the, the way for that to work. Um, the same for the, the, the crackery type bread, if you would have made it in a different way. But one thing that it also says is don't put any honey on it and don't use any leaven. I'm not exactly clear why, what that would have been. Um, uh, why that's so. Some people have various uh, thoughts on it may have uh, been a, a picture of corruption due to the fermentation process that would have occurred. And so that would not have been appropriate. Other people have said, well, those things are, are more living and active like leaven and a, a, a sourdough bread thing. And so you wouldn't want to put anything alive on the altar. We don't really know specifically, but we do know this. The covenant king has stipulated this is how I want you to bring these offerings. And therefore, part of the way we would respond to him is by doing what he's asked. Similar to the burnt offering, the, the olive oil um, and other places uh, communicates uh, and is, is used in, in places where there's uh, a response of joy. Olive oil is related to, to that. And the frankincense would have been extremely costly as well. Um, and so remember, seeing it connected to bringing something costly and, um, and substantial to, to God and to our, our king. What, what's going on here? What, what is the point? 
of this. Um, I don't know if many of you have been to different trainings or, or classes um, uh, for, for work or at school, um, but a lot of times, um, maybe your experience is this, if it's just a lecture or if you just read a book, um, it's hard to really grasp the concept and understand really what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Um, a lot of times we, we, it really begins to sink down when we participate in it, when maybe we go through a role play. In fact, when we uh, did our evangelism training here a couple of weeks ago, some of the feedback that we got was at the end, we did some dialogue and some practicing on how to communicate and share the good news of, of the gospel that Jesus comes to redeem and reconcile or reestablish a relationship with sinners to our God. We dialogued, we role-played, we practiced communicating and speaking. I didn't just talk about it, but we did it. And people said it was in the the practice of actually doing it that it was really helpful, one, in in helping me to see where I I still needed help. But two, um, sometimes what you begin to see is that when you speak and communicate and do, it has an effect in your heart and your mind of who, uh, of, uh, of giving you a, a greater understanding and appreciation for what it is you're, you're saying and you're doing. It's, it's similar here to think about the, the offerings as, as an, 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 a, a giant role play practice for you to live out your relationship with the covenant king. You see, what's going on is this is very similar to what would have, Israel would have known would have happened in, the, in, a, in a covenant relationship in the other nations. You would bring tribute to your king. You would, you would say, in response to how you have cared for us, we want to give you our best and our finest in appreciation and gratitude for what you've done. Now, remember, we saw with the other nations, a lot of times it was done out of fear and, and not sure if they could fully trust their king, and so they were trying to appease. This isn't the case here. It would have been in response to God's great provision. They were to dr- bring tribute to their covenant king. That's why it would have been fine flour, good quality flour, Good olive oil and the frankincense would have been costly. What would be fit for a king? Um, and uh, the, as well, seeing of how it, it fits in with the, uh, um, the whole burnt offering. Did you notice this? It said this phrase last week too, but it says this here in, in chapter 2 as well. Look in verse 3. Um, at the end of verse 3. Uh, it is the most holy part of, the, of Yahweh's food offerings. And at the end of verse 2 as well, a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. In verse 9, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. Verse 10, the Lord, or Yahweh's food offerings. It says it again in, uh, um, in verse... Uh, 16 as well. Food offerings. It, it described this, too, with the whole burnt offerings. So the, the picture of it is, is that we're giving God a meal. What goes great with a good piece of meat but some good, fresh-baked bread? If you're going to 
offer and, and host a meal and invite a special guest. You want to give them something good. And so you would give them meat and you would give them bread. Both of these are, are described as food offerings. And they went together. The whole burnt offering was accompanied with the grain offering. You viewed it as giving to God in tribute and to res- in response to how He's behaved on our behalf by giving Him a good meal. This would have been something that would have been common within that world to tribute an honored guest in your appreciation and thanksgiving for them visiting you, for them coming into your presence, for them providing you by giving them a very special meal. This would have fit in because remember, the, the whole burnt offerings many times was given in, um, in a a response to a deep need that you had and calling out to God with, with deep longings for Him to answer a prayer request and then to, or in praise. And so in response to that and communicating your, your thanksgiving that He would hear you or also in response to in praise that He's done what you've asked even though He didn't have to, that you would offer Him this tribute. Tribute to your King. Um, what, um, but it, it's not just the act of going through it because you see what, what would end up happening is Israel got confused. Israel thought that as long as I'm doing this and just going through the motions of bringing my, bringing my wheat or my flour, bringing my bread, bringing my oil, bringing my frankincense, I got God on the hook. They thought now God owed them. They're providing for Him. He needs them. So now He, they, he has to respond. Of thinking God needs our food. God needs this meal. Later, God's going to correct this. In, uh, in Psalm chapter 50, God is critiquing His people's misunderstanding and misuse of the sacrificial system. And He says... He says this, um, beginning in verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness of mine are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And then at the end of the, of the, the chapter, in verse 23, he says this, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. God is saying, look, I don't need your food. I didn't put this here because I need to eat meat and I really like bread. The purpose in it is to cultivate and shape you as you go through this practice of responding and relating to me as all the other nations relate to their sovereign king. Of giving me tribute and responding in a way that shows that you are in a loyal member of my covenant community. It should cultivate loyalty and thanksgiving and appreciation to God. 
don't just go through the motions, but it's to work deep into and uh, shape their hearts and their heart response to God. It's what the act of bringing the flower would do. God is saying, look, when I'll work in your life, there should be a response. Part of it is as he's seeking to shape them is that the response is going to be the offer of a tribute of thanksgiving to an honored guest who is dwelling in your midst. But ultimately what that should do and shape within you is a heart of dependence and longing and appreciation as they went through what the rest of the world was going through. What, what about us? We're not, we're not doing this. You throw in some flour up in the air for God? No. What, is it, what does that look like for you and I for you and me to, to have a life that is beginning to be transformed to live with covenant loyalty and faithfulness before our God. This is what this was to, to begin to, to, to bring about in their lives as they practiced this, as they went through doing it over and over, realizing I owe everything to God. This was like their money. They labored long and hard to raise these animals, to grow this wheat. And now in response, when they realize all that God's given them, they bring to Him. What about you and me? Do you claim to be a Christian? Is that enough just to say it, that I'm a, I'm a believer? You go to church, you give some money, you vote a certain way. You pray and serve others. If that's our understanding of as long as I'm doing that kind of stuff, God is pleased with me, and that's what it looks like to live faithfully before Him, we're going to come up really short. If you begin to think that just like Israel, because I'm going through those motions and I'm, I'm giving my stuff to God, now He's on the hook. And now he must bless me and I've got him right where I want him. And now he's obligated to work in my life. God's saying, no, you're missing it. In fact, in uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's to come out of a response to the mercies that God has shown you, his provision and his care. This should always have should have been motivated, not by a desire to manipulate God, but as a deep, heartfelt response of appreciation of I want to give the best to the God who has cared for me when I did not deserve it. What are the mercies of God for us? Their response would have been they would have seen the atonement that God would have, have accepted, the animal's blood and death on their behalf. But what about us? We know the greater atonement, the one that it was all pointing towards. God in His mercy, this covenant King has come to pursue His people. He became one of us. In order to fulfill His covenant promises, He died in our place. We deserve the covenant curses. We deserve to be ripped in half. 
just like those animals did for breaking his covenant promises of not living faithfully before him. But he said, in order to redeem you as my beloved children, I will suffer those curses for you. And as you look in faith and hope to me, I will redeem and save you. We owe all to him. That should begin to work itself up in us, not living a life just to uh, put on the front that thinking that just being a Christian is the way that it looks on the outside, although the outside is important. But to be in a covenant relationship with God should begin to work itself deep into our hearts to where there is gratitude and growing love and dependency and trust in him. Going through the grain offering should have done that for them. But now for us, it's living our lives. Everything we do should be a tribute and a response to the mercy and the grace of our God. But notice, notice this. God, God gives something else. The permanency of the, the promise. There's something that I didn't, I didn't put on here. There's, it, it clarifies in, uh, in verse... Um, I lost it. Oh, here it is in verse uh, verse 13. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant of your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. They were to come and they were to have sprinkled salt over the, the covenant, over the, the grain offering. Salt. It's an interesting thing about salt. During the, this time period, Salt was a very important part of covenants. People who exchanged covenants would have eaten some or exchanged it during the formulation of their covenants. Why? Salt's preserving, but it's also lasting. I did some looking up on stuff. It, stuff has to get... It, salt just doesn't burn up very easily. Um, it's, it's, it's permanent. If this, as this would have been gone up onto the offering, the salt would have not burned up. Uh, it's, it's lasting. It's permanent. And so God is, is saying to his people, part of what I'm giving you in, the, in the, the, the showing you of doing this ritual that does something is to communicate to you the, the, the eternal, un, never ending, permanent, everlasting, never being destroyed faithfulness of my promises to you. Always put salt on the offering to remind you what well the what the priest took off this was called the memorial portion the remembrance and what did it do it was cast onto the the offer the the altar of burnt offerings what happens when stuff gets on fire it burns and what happens when something burns smoke rises so here you are, you've come to God. You're giving your, your praise or your petition to Him. You're giving this memorial portion. Not one of, of, of asking for God to remember you as if He's forgotten, but in Scripture, remembrance is for God to do His faithful work that He's promised. And the priests take it off and they give this memorial portion and you see it rise up to the heavens. 
communicating to you visibly what is true. God will remember you and be faithful to you and will fulfill His promises. The salt is on there to remind you it will never end. God is always faithful to what He's done. How much more so is this for us? That He's shown us the permanency of, of His of His promises of his faithfulness to fulfill them, that he would die in our place, that he would send his son, that Jesus would rise, and that even now we have the promised gift of the Holy Spirit communicating to us a a guarantee that we will receive the inheritance that God has promised. The God of, of salt, the God of the memorial portion is your God, is my God, who's Full, faithful character was demonstrated in the sending of His Son. This is what should move us to unending, undivided loyalty as we continue to come back and look to Him and who He is and what He has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for Your faithfulness to Your people. You know we struggle uh, in looking after Uh, and going uh, our own way. We struggle in living out covenant loyalty and faithfulness before You. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would continue Your transforming work. That we would respond to You always in thanksgiving and in appreciation and worship. That the nations would know that You are our God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.